0: Get off my
1: world. Get off my world. Get Get off my world.
2: what? I'm Pat. And I'm Kelvin. And this is Get Off My World, a Doctor Who podcast dedicated to the classic Doctor Who series, which we love unconditionally. Well, actually, maybe not unconditionally, but very close. And occasionally we will also speak words about the new series as well. We'll take you through five rounds rapid and get to the bottom of what's great and not so great about our favorite show. And as always, we start with temporal Grace. And this is a chance to just say something positive and happy about anything, anything in the world of Doctor <laughs> Who. And I'd like to start by this uh, surprise moment I had. Uh, I sat down and watched uh, the first episode of uh, Designated Survivor, a new uh, Keeper Sutherland show uh, with my family. So it looked like a show you could sit and watch with your family. Um, and then on the screen, playing an army general, is. Kevin McNally or McNally who I recognized instantly and so did my son as Hugo Lang from The Twin Dilemma.
1: What?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what I, my mind went, "What?" to make that jump, a,
0: Recognizing anything from The Twin Dilemma kind of makes you go, "What?" Yes. <laughs> maybe that's just me.
2: But this this English actor from, you know, an 80s Doctor Who playing this really gruff American general <laughs> in this 21st century TV show, it was one of those fun Doctor Who moments because my son and I recognized it immediately and then we started talking about the twin dilemma trying to remember his name and then pretty soon my wife's like can we pause and rewind because
1: I missed everything
2: (laughs) (laughs) which is great it's great when Doctor Who can ruin viewing (laughs) for others (laughs) that was my big happy surprise Doctor Who moment
3: Uh, well a few episodes ago uh, we speculated about the idea of creating a Doctor Who war game war gaming being a particular interest of mine well, in one of the Facebook wargame groups that I'm a part of, this uh, a link to a blog post uh, caught my eye. Uh, I was not familiar with this, although we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, someone has a blog called 10mm Wargaming, and this is miniatures wargaming. This is not something that I do mm-hmm. very much of. I'm more of a board wargamer person, but miniatures wargamers are like really... Uh, into the thing, you know, uh, and so a lot of it is about crafting uh, yeah. models and painting I, uh, Painting things. I had like, friends
0: who were into yeah. miniature wargaming, and yeah, they were just obsessive yeah. about... Building
3: the landscapes. Yeah, yeah. And making up rule sets, too. That's particular. Most, uh, or many, many uh, miniatures wargamers will have their own homebrew set of rules. So uh, this particular guy, I don't know who he is, uh, has made a set of rules... Uh, His name is Andrew Bruce. I guess he's uh, from Lincoln, England. And he's made a 10-millimeter miniatures Doctor Who war game uh, where he's modeled all the different figures and created a a rule set. And he has chosen to uh, make... uh, We couldn't do all the races in Doctor Who, so we sat down and decided to go for Daleks, Cybermen, Santarans, and Time Lords, um, Earthlings, Vogons, and Ice Warriors. Uh, And they all, of course, have different... um, uh, different capabilities. Uh, the Daleks not only have themselves, but have Robo mercenaries, and Ogrons that are their slaves and can be run around. They can all be killed and not affect your army morale like uh, <laughs> other armies. Um, Cybermen are perfectly built for war, elite, highly skilled, and armored, and can be supported by Cybermat swarms that act like moving minefields, which oh. I think is brilliant. What a terrific idea. Uh, and so, of, of course, they all have um, their own special capabilities. And you can go to the site and you can see the the little models that he's made and, and the, the landscape that he fights, uh, he has them fighting in. But I thought that was charming. Uh, and if I was the kind of person that made miniatures, war games, I would uh, probably take advantage of his rule set. It's <laughs>
2: awesome.
0: Uh, well, I recently went to a comic book convention and picked up uh the hardback of um the 11th doctor comic uh, the 11th doctor adventures year two uh it's a collection called the then and the now Uh, and it's uh the plot roughly speaking uh is the 11th doctor dealing with some fallout of stuff he did when he was the war doctor Uh, it's written by cy Spurrier and rob williams uh, Art is by Simon Fraser, Warren Pleas, and Gary Caldwell, uh, and it's just a pretty terrific book. I've really enjoyed it. It's really complicated plot, lots of sort of deep cuts of, uh, from Doctor Who. Absalom Doc is in it. Yay! Uh, that you know, so there's like comic book continuity and the TV continuity kind of getting together. I liked this so much. I tried to get this uh, the second book of it, and I couldn't find it right away. And I, it wasn't really discounted online, so I actually bought the second volume as a digital comic, which I have never done before, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, because I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a tablet user, and digital comics are kind of weird unless you have a tablet. I think, but uh, and then I read that, and the story is still going on, so I have to wait and for the other. Issues to get compiled into one uh, book or something. So, that got, like, my only real downside about it was that I thought it would, I, would, I would get this one book, and that would be the whole story.
1: <laughs> nope.
2: That's but, how the comic books get
0: you. Yeah, you know, because it's like it's like five comics uh, in that book, and it's still not completed in the second book. I'm just kind of frustrated that I I don't <laughs> have the end of it yet. But uh, it's it's really great. They do a great job of capturing the eleventh doctor's voice so many geeky
2: surprises in it i I don't want to discuss it any further because spoilers but we should definitely dip more into the comic book realm i think yeah we don't talk enough about comic books i mean we do we're we're not recording (laughs) a podcast all the time but not
0: not in front of the podcast did not capture my my confused and startled expression
3: (laughs) all right For our second round, the Special Topics Dalek, our sound engineer, Tony Karna, has a question for the group.
4: Hooray! Actually, I am uh, borrowing this one from my wife, Emily, because she mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's it's a question that can go in several different directions, so I don't know how much we want to go in all of these directions, but it's about... It can either be about lobbying someone to get them to think a certain way about Doctor Who... Or representing Doctor Who in the way that you think is the most accurate. So I don't know if that would be educational, analytical, or whatever it is, but her, her thought is what episode would you use if you were either trying to get someone to say this particular doctor is the best doctor, or which episode would you pick to show to someone as the most representational episode for that doctor? It's a lot of ground to okay. cover. So, but, boy, yeah. so what
2: you're talking about is a, a difference between maybe not your favorite episode of Doctor Who, but what you think is the most representational. Exactly. W- within a specific Doctor. Exactly.
4: So, and like I say, like if if you're trying to trying to sum up Tom Baker in one episode, what would be the best episode for that versus? Would that episode then be the same episode you would pick if you were trying to get someone to say that Tom Baker is the best Doctor?
1: <laughs>
3: right. <laughs> uh, well, that's uh, that's an interesting point because often you see City of Death as on lists of best Doctor Who stories. And I won't disagree. I love City of Death. But it, it's so Douglas Adamsy that it's very non-representative of Doctor Who as a whole. It's, exactly. It's representative a little bit of that era because he was the script editor for it, but it's far and, far and away better than any of other scripts from around then. And it doesn't really convey what Doctor Who is. I, I think something more like for the third Doctor, I would probably just pick Spearhead from Space. It's very straightforward. It introduces him and Unit and Liz, and it gives Pertwee a lot to do. And he really remains the Pertwee Doctor from that moment until Planet of the Spiders uh, without a lot of variation. There's some, obviously. Um, But that, I think, is, as well as being a good episode, uh, Bob
4: Holmes' written one, but it's also very, very... Pertwee representative. So would you also pick that as the episode to lobby someone to say that John Pertwee is the best doctor?
3: I'd have to think about that. I mean he's he's a bit over the top in Spearhead from Space but he frequently is. Um, Planet of the Spiders as bad as it sometimes can get in parts uh, has one of his better performances at least in the final episode. I might pick something like Inferno which everybody likes or you know probably best would be Carnival of Monsters. Another Bob Holmes story. Uh, He's very good. His relationship with Joe at that point is well-established and is quite warm. And you give Pertwee a lot of humor with the Carney people uh, and still there's a a seriousness to his character. So that would, I think, maybe be the one that I
2: would use to try to convince people. See, because then you're getting pretty subjective uh, when you say what makes someone the
4: best Mm -hmm. doctor. So, yeah, because um, then you also get into what would appeal to this particular person the most. Yeah. Then it can get very, very, very subjective. Mm-hmm. But just as far as what our own personal opinion would be, just to simplify it, I think.
3: You think about Peter Davison, for example. I think most people would say "Caves of Androzani" is one of the best, if not his best episode. But it's not representative either
0: at, at all. It's not really it's an introduction because sort of. it's when he. When he ends.
3: <laughs> right. I mean, something like The Five Doctors might be a more representative
2: uh, Peter episode. Yeah. Because he's constantly I know it, saddled I,
1: with
0: nostalgia. Yeah. I, he never I, gets I, I forge know. Forge his own it, path. Yeah, and I know what you guys are going to say, but yeah, maybe Four to Doomsday. Ah,
3: <laughs> oh, Kelvin in his Four to Doomsday.
2: <laughs> I think that's a pretty good introduction. It's the very first episode he recorded, though, and I feel like he doesn't mm. feel as much like the character he's going to eventually become. He mm. seems a. Al- all the emphasis is on the like boyish, charming mm-hmm. side of his character, and there's not much of the old man in a young man's body that mm-hmm. he integrates later. Mm-hmm. But this just goes to show just how subjective this whole yeah. question is.
0: Representative of like the first Doctor, I, I, I for some reason the first thing I think of is the Crusades. It would have to be. I think it would have to be one of the really historical kind of ones. That's not too long. Yeah,
3: and, <laughs> yeah. He's got a good, uh, good uh, supporting cast. That's Vicky too, who is an improvement on Susan, frankly. Yes.
2: Um, to focus this question, because we could go mm-hmm. a long way. Is there any episode with any doctor that you think uh, is a great intro episode to Doctor Who and totally representative of that doctor? Is there is there one so that both, really that, that meets both those requirements in one so story? So both
4: represent uh, uh, an introductory for the entire. Series. Or
2: at the very least, their era. I think Spearhead from Space
4: fits that. Yeah, think fits so? that criteria. I think that's one of the best. Mm-hmm.
2: I think um, Robots of Death for Tom Baker because mm, yeah. it is dark, it has a lot of wit and humor. Yeah. And Tom Baker's very funny and goofy at times, but also very serious. I know it's not liked a lot
0: by a lot of people, So uh, it seems like, but for some reason for Tom Baker, I keep thinking Revenge of the Cybermen
3: one of the first ones i saw mm-hmm.
0: you know because it, it there, there's a really straightforward kind of quality to it and um yeah <laughs> it's I a would, straightforward kind of thing
2: i would also say something like remembrance of the daleks is a great episode that tells you exactly what the rest of the doctor who series is going to be from there on forward it really doesn't deviate much from that and uh, the the character of the seventh doctor that really wasn't in place at all the season beforehand is locked and pretty much does not deviate
3: say the web of fear for the second doctor that again it introduces uh, it, it doesn't show the full range of what the show is capable of but it it's it's a good representation of the base under siege storyline mm-hmm. and patrick troughton is of course very good in it without getting into stuff like enemy of the world which is probably maybe better but it's you know, in playing two different roles and, and yeah
2: and kind of unlike any other doctor who yeah. story
3: yeah that's completely unrepresentative <laughs> yeah, yeah. of, of all doctor who and we'll wait until uh, Power of the Daleks uh, comes out. I'm looking forward to seeing that. That oh, might yeah. uh, that might be an even better intro to, to Patrick Chowden or Doctor
4: Who in general. To
2: two. to two. To two. To oh, two. To
4: two to two, two. Yeah. So right. we still need a Colin Baker. Mm-hmm. Vengeance and of Eros has got to be. Yeah. That's about all I can come up with mm-hmm. for him. Um, I think,
2: yeah, totally. But again, he, that is such an oddity because he's... He has two seasons under drastically different creative directions. But yeah, Vengeance and Veros sums up his first season, good and bad, really well. Mm-hmm.
0: Maybe Mark of the Ronnie?
2: If you must. <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I
0: always thought Mark of the Ronnie was an unusually un- uh, underrated episode.
2: Perry, the tree won't hurt you. Yeah. One little tree mine scene, <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing falls apart. We're not talking about Mark and the Ronnie, although I agree with you, Kevin. Mm-hmm. One day we'll team up against Pat in the future, and tell him what. Time, I
0: want. time of the Ronnie, however, is a sack of garbage. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> and
4: then what about? Oh, what about uh, Sylvester?
2: M- Remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, uh, I
4: think I agree.
0: Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. maybe Silver Nemesis.
4: I find that one so or,
0: dull. Or or or, uh, mm. or, or uh, Ah, Fenric. I mean, I have a weird tendency mm. to get Silver Nemesis and Cursa Fenric mixed up. But
3: yeah, well, you know, they are both vampires. Nazis. And... <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: there aren't any Nazis in Fenric, are there? Those are Russian soldiers. Russian
2: soldiers, foreigners, <laughs> non Englishers. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> is there like
0: a new nazi group that just shows up for some reason? In Silver
2: Nemesis, Silver Nemesis? yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. No, they're Nazis, neo-Nazis there. Or yeah. They're Argentinian Nazis or something. But... Yeah. Well, I think we can all agree on Delta and the Bannerman is probably... <laughs> the...
1: Oh,
2: no. <laughs> and the TV movie for it, Paul McGann.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, next we have The Randomizer. And in its infinite wisdom, uh, for us this week, The Randomizer picked the Celestial Toymaker... The first Doctor episode from season three, uh, featuring uh, Steven Taylor and Dodo Chaplet. And, of course, Michael Gow is the Toy Maker. It was directed by Bill Sellers, and it was written by Brian Hales and Donald Tosh. So, what do we think about this one?
3: Well, of course, three of the four episodes do not exist, yeah, and you have to watch them in Reconstruction. <sighs> so, <clears throat> here's a point of entry, maybe, for our mm-hmm. discussion. Phil Sandifer from the TARDIS Arudatorium blog, Mm -hmm. uh, who I frequently disagree with, and I do in this case, I'm giving the game away, but he thinks that this is the worst Doctor Who story ever. And he thinks that because he accuses it of really deep racism. His points are that Michael Goff is dressed in that Mandarin outfit, Mm -hmm. that it's titled the Celestial Toymaker, Celestial being a 19th century term for Chinese people. Um, he went also right over my head. Uh, he also criticizes uh, Goff's diction. Uh, but I don't hear that myself. I don't I, hear it, any Asian no. attempts. I, in I, I dis- yeah, I disagree with him there. Yeah. Um there's also apparently and I missed this when I was watching it, there's apparently an "ini meeny miny mo ketcha" n word by the toe yes. in the background there. I, I blotted it
0: out <laughs> that specific moment out. Kind of uh, completely... So back. you're saying
2: it's in the soundtrack somewhere? But I, re- I, rem- I definitely yeah.
0: remember hearing some holy crap anti...
3: Yeah, which attack. is indefensible if, even for the 1960s. Yeah. Um, this might be something that we can argue uh, is true or is not true, is partly true or whatever. I, I'm I'm willing to cut it a little bit of a break. Um, I'm fairly sensitive to race in Doctor Who, I think, but uh, the, the only thing... The Celestials may be like, oh, okay, you don't want to do that. But Michael Goff himself didn't really strike me as supposed to supposedly Asian so much as he is like a nineteenth century eccentric with a taste for shinossori. He's like an
2: Avengers got a bit of villain. Everything, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got robots. He's got giant game pieces. It's it's one of many things. He seems like a col- more like the collector, and that's yeah. a random costume he's wearing.
3: Wang Chiang is far more, yeah, legitimately the racist. Yeah, than that's this.
0: that's you know, darn racist. Yeah. It's darn racist. <laughs> that's a highfalutin fifty-five gallon drum full of racism. <laughs> that is. Well, the other side of the argument, of course, is that it's just very bad. Uh, that's that's. What,
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's what Sandifer is. Is I think he's, he'd be willing to cut it a little more slack if it
2: was a better episode, right? Yes, it's
1: it's not good.
2: But I argue that you don't have to dig that deep to condemn it to no. d- d- find hidden layers of racism to call it a bad episode because it's it's, <laughs>
1: it's,
3: it's really weirdly pointless yeah I, I really did try to, to dig out yeah. stuff that I enjoyed about it I did find some things um bear with me <laughs> 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 while I try to remember what they are um well I like right at the beginning the toy maker tries to hypnotize Dodo and Steven by showing them images of their own past it's like nostalgia as a trap it's an odd moment that would have been poignant in any other show because Dodo recognizes her the image of herself from the day her mother died. She says that out loud, and it just breezes right by. But I'm mm-hmm. like, there's there's a whole world of emotion that could have been gotten out of something like this like i'm going to show you something from your past josh and it's going to trap you here in my realm because it's so attractive to you that you can't get away from
2: it it clearly wasn't intended because this is only a couple years into dr who but from this point in time it can be read as as a sort of meta reference to watching it in and of itself i mean dr who for us is this hypnotizing memory window (laughs) we could easily get stuck in this nostalgia and end up doing like a podcast for two years yeah (laughs) (laughs)
3: The, the other things I, I did enjoy about it, um, well, I'll say that the playing card people are a lot more entertaining than the clowns from episode one. Mm-hmm. They're like The playing card the, people were kind of fun. Pretty fun. They're broadly comic, mm-hmm. but I, I enjoyed about the, I enjoyed that about them. I liked the subdued argument that never really goes anywhere between Steven and Dodo, where Steven is just totally callous. It's like, well, these are artificial creatures. They're not real at all. And Dodo thinks, what they are people. They're trapped here. And... Uh, that fundamentally informs their
2: actions about what uh,
3: what each of them how each mm-hmm. of them relates to the to the to the people in the world.
2: But it feels almost like that's going to be a, a plot point that will come to play in the conclusion or something, and it doesn't really play out. It it never does. It's interesting for sure, but mm-hmm. untapped.
3: There's some horror to be found in this idea. Um, it's kind of a reversal of what you might feel as a child, where you're imagining your toy or your doll growing into an active, real, living person. But the reverse of that, like in episode three, seeing real or real-ish people shrink into toys again, there, there's a real darkness to that idea. Uh, but again, it does, it's it's only mentioned, it's touched on, it doesn't really go anywhere. And there's never any question about, we're going to rescue these people, we're going to get them mm-hmm. out of the Toymaker's realm. It's just like, we got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> this is terrible.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the fundamental flaw to this, I think, is the fact that it is merely four episodes of boring games there's a point at which steven even says you've got to be kidding me this is a children's (laughs) game and it's like yep it's and and that's in episode one you're like nope there's four more three more episodes episodes
0: of of games that are not except for maybe the trilogic game that uh the doctor plays which is clearly the towers of hanoi puzzle Mm -hmm. these games are
2: not terribly hard i mean or interesting or interesting I mean, part of the problem, too, it's a a genre trope that I find terribly uninteresting because games and puzzles are a very internal thing. I think it's very hard to externalize what's interesting Mm -hmm. about a person playing a game.
0: Sort of frustrating because it clearly depicts the Doctor as having some kind of history with the Celestial Mm Toymaker. Which is
2: very interesting.
0: And this gets explored in... Later, non-television media a little bit. Like, I, I think there's a novel.
2: Gary where, Russell, or, surprise, surprise. Who, yeah, who, d- who, Divided who, Loyalties, I think it was. He, who
0: uh says the Celestial Toymaker is the Crystal Guardian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there are more bad. guardians than just the white and the black yeah. one. Like, there's the, a blue one and a green one. And and the Celestial Toymaker is the Crystal one, whatever <laughs> that He's is.
2: the boring guardian. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um,
0: there's a 12th Doctor comic story where he runs into the Celestial Queen. Toymaker, there was
3: an unmade Sixth Doctor adventure during that season mm-hmm. that never uh, actually occurred. Nightmare, the, fair. Nightmare yep. fair, which they did at being Finish, I think. Yeah, they
2: novel did a novelization and they made an audio. I've not heard the audio. Uh, my son was telling me today on the, on the way over that the audio was pretty much just as boring. The Sixth okay. Doctor, it was the same thing, just kind of boring games.
0: Yeah, so it's th- it's sort of interesting that this, for being a really <clears throat> bleh episode, uh, story people felt the need to like revisit the character a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, I, it's just to make it not blue. <laughs> that's exactly right. I think yeah. it has a lot of potential. If you described just the idea of this story on the page, you mm-hmm. might think it would be something like mind robber, yeah. which I think is a more successful version of oh, this much kind more, of idea. Yeah. And so I think people want to revisit it and see if they can get something more entertaining out of it. Yeah. You're also hampered by the fact that uh, the doctor's on vacation. Yeah, and being turned He's invisible. literally
0: invisible for half And
2: it's so story. transparent because they reach a point where, like, I'm going to put you on mute. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I will say
3: that episode four is generally better than the previous three because mm-hmm. they wrap up the game-playing stuff, and then there's the dilemma about, well, we can't get out of here. You can't leave yes. here without destroying yourself, which made me think as the Celestial Toe-Maker, the Valyard, or something. But <laughs> I don't know. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> but Steven's great in that episode when he offers to sacrifice himself the, so that the others will escape. And uh, the the way that they trick the toy maker mm-hmm. into uh, allowing them to go is is quite good. So yeah. uh, I think it ends strong, but it really could have been
2: a, could have been a half hour episode. And Cyril be. the man boy is really creepy. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh that okay yeah. I yeah. Uh,
0: things about Cyril the man boy. Uh, he's very very obviously supposed to be Billy Bunter. Mm-hmm. Billy Bunter was this um, comic character who was immensely popular in England. I want to say the Twenties and thirties, totally unknown in America, and from what little I've known about Billy Bunter, he, it's one of those things that you just plain have to be English to appreciate it. Because he sounds like the most painfully unpleasant character. He's this like fat, dumb British schoolboy who plays super mean pranks on people. I mean, vicious, mean, sadistic pranks. <laughs> And I just and I and and he was like this beloved character, and I'm like, what? I, what is what is lovable? And and they named the character Cyril, but then the actor, and apparently this was an ad lib on the actor's part, said like my friends called me Billy, oh right, which threw the whole story into this weird legal bind where it was like they were clearly ripping off the Billy Bunter character, you know? So they had to do like a weird legalistic disclaimer thing in front of the story. I wonder at what
2: point you just give up. Your lead's on vacation. You're you're having script problems and legal problems. Just go on to the next episode. This this is the hill you're going to die on? Celestial Toymaker? Billy Billy Bunter?
0: I only know about... The the reason I know about Billy Bunter is that he does show up in a disguised uh, version because they didn't legally have the rights to him uh, in... The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, nineteen sixty nine. An elderly Billy Bunter shows up, and 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 he still has the same personality and everything. But they don't ever. But they they refer to him as William because they can't call him Billy Bunter. That's like the. And then like, what the hell is with this weird old fat guy in this story all of a sudden? And I researched him, like, oh, oh okay. <laughs>
2: playing the most boring game of Hopscotch. They, yeah. they try to say the floor is electric to make to add some sort of suspense, but it's just like, just jump onto the floor, But, but that so, sort <laughs> of intense
0: childishness with. of the character. I win! I win!
3: I want to do a comprehensive rewrite of this adventure where the toy maker forces Dodo and Steven to solve a puzzle room challenge. That'd be so much more I've done three of those. They're lots of fun. At the very least, it'd be done in an hour. <laughs> It could be something like the end of, uh, you know, Sleuth with Michael Caine and mm-hmm. Laurence Olivier and, you know, playing a tune that, oh, a glimpse of stocking, and then goes and finds the stocking and that kind of, It could be that sort of thing.
2: That would be fun. That's the sort of thing I want my Celestial Toymaker to do. I think we do. should all go away and write our own Celestial Toymaker. Uh, Tony's shaking his head no, guys. Just <laughs> so listeners, no, he's not on board.
3: Also, I want to say that the Puro Clown looks
0: distractingly like
3: David Bowie from the
2: Ashes <laughs> to Ashes video. It does! <laughs>
0: He does, and uh, the woman who plays uh, the Lady Clown and the Queen of, uh, is it the Hearts? I forget. The, the Queen of the, the Card People mm-hmm. is Carmen Silvera, who is in some other Doctor Who thing. She's really oh. distinctive looking, and I can't place. If only there was some electronic database of information that could be consulted to... Uh... Oh, that, no, that's where I recognize her from. She's Have you ever seen the-, the Britcom L.O. L.O.? Okay. Yes. She's in there. She's the, the wife on the L.O. Um. Uh, you were also correct about
3: Doctor Who. She was Ruth in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I, th- I think that's the woman on the spaceship
2: oh, that, when yeah. Sarah Jane wakes up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last positive thing I will say is I love uh, Dodo and Stephen's outfits—the striped shirt <laughs> yes. and the it's a the, the weird little cap and the she has like the O's on her shirt and on her mm-hmm. skirt.
0: Yeah, it, it, it's very middle-aged British man in 1965. Like, well, what are the kids wearing these days? Mm-hmm.
3: I suppose they thought that the kids could emulate the games
0: that they were playing, but
3: it's just, I don't know, like they would play Daleks and then they would play Celestial Toymaker games. They didn't have the
0: the, the budget and the uh, stunt people availability to do like genuinely challenging looking games. It's literally just hop on this one thing and then hop over on this other thing and it's like, this is not interesting television. (laughs) So yeah, we're, we're, flo- we're boredom is the only threat. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>.
3: <laughs> we're floating here, listeners. So, uh,
0: final
2: verdict on the celestial toy
3: maker. What's the celestial toy maker?
0: The, yeah. the batteries ran down on the celestial toy
3: So, for our next round, wonderful a functionalism. We're going to give you guys a preview of the guests who will be appearing on our next episode. Uh, We have invited local Minneapolis band The Sevateam to appear and discuss, among other things, a projected rock opera about the caves of (laughs) Androzani. So uh, to get you guys in the mood, we're going to play you a Sevateam song called City.
0: next we have the death zone where we have two doctor who stories slug it out in a battle royale and we decide which one is the victor and today we are going to review the two brigadier stories from outside the main doctor who tv show we are going to discuss enemy of the bane from the sarah jane adventures and the is it it fan made uh, yes, it's a or, di-
3: direct-to-video production by a company called Real-Time Pictures. Yeah, it's
0: a, it's a direct-to-video story called Downtime, uh, which is a reunion of the Brigadier and Sarah Jane Smith and, oddly enough, Victoria Waterfield. Yeah, it's
3: from uh, 1995, and the, the show had been off the air for some time. And so this is the beginning of the wilderness years. How do you even describe, like, all the strange growths of fan stuff that was happening uh, at the time, the Virgin novels were going mm-hmm. on. Uh, I don't know when the various audios started, but it wasn't yet. So this is a fan-made film, but uh, as Coven said, it not only has those characters, but it has those actors that play them. So it's got Nick Nick Courtney playing the Brigadier, and uh, among other things, it's got Jack Watling, Deborah yeah. Watling's dad, reprising his role as Professor at Travers. And which means he would have to be
0: like a hundred and. 12
3: but he's actually spoiler he's dead
1: <laughs> they
3: they say that specifically that he had died and he's been re uh, uh, resurrected by the great intelligence it also weirdly introduces Kate Lethridge Stewart who is now a big character on the new yeah. program this is where she first appears uh, it's written by Mark Platt who he, he, of course wrote uh, ghostlight ghostlight and many novels and the novelization of Battlefield that we talked about uh, last episode, so he's real deep in, deep Doctor Who guy. So it's somewhere in the border between canonical and non-canonical. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's clearly non-canonical, but it's got all the, the right people in it for it to be canonical. So, what do we think about it, you guys? It's really interesting.
0: Uh... <laughs> I wasn't too hot not on He's on making downtime. the Celestial
2: maker face. <laughs> uh, I, I, I,
0: I honestly was not too hot on, on downtime. It's... Hmm? You know, what, what, what's the only thing that's more egregiously cheap-looking than a Doctor Who episode would be, like, a fan-made straight-to-video production of Doctor Who? I mean, it, 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 it was so cheap-looking that it really... I couldn't even really focus on it at all. I, I,
2: the, you, you are right. It is very cheap-looking, and, and obviously the sound, too, which is always the giveaway, uh, has a lot of hisses, and... Well, they, the,
0: do... the students of that one university, and they're all wearing, like, those cheap-ass-looking... Gimme hats and,
2: and... That's how we all dressed in the 90s, Calvin. You just don't
0: remember. <laughs> it was kind of... And, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting in the sense that it is such a direct continuation of uh, the great intelligence stories from the second Doctor era. Yeah.
2: It's really clearly positioning itself to, to be like the last part of a trilogy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, Although I, I have to admit, the only time in this story I got emotionally involved was the point when the brigadier realizes he has a grandson. That, that actually kind of floored me because it's so suddenly emotional there where he actually his voice actually kind of cracks and stuff there's
3: quite a bit of brigadier character yeah in mm-hmm. in here uh we learn that he's estranged from his wife and daughter mm-hmm. uh, that kate doesn't know what her father did so it's the same thing as like not telling doris yeah. never knew yeah never knew uh yeah there's a family drama where kate has a, a child that the brigadier never knew about
2: and this is post-New uh, Adventures, so you're seeing that kind of dark realism where they want mm-hmm. there to be dysfunction in everything. Yep. That, that is Doctor Who. Aside from that, I think the Brigadier is very well written. I think so, too. And again, it carries on the, the template set in Battlefield. He's that old soldier. There is an actually really fun scene uh, where he's meeting with the gentleman from Unit. They're having yeah. dinner and they're they're bantering a little and some of Mark Platt's dialogue is really nice in there, where they t- call it the the blood and thunder days or the blunder days. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the brigadier is just quietly disdainful of this guy during the whole conversation. And it just has it has a nice little bit of uh, both comedy and tension in it. Yeah. So there are moments, even though it's cheap, uh, where yeah. where what they're trying to do is really simple, like just let's shoot two actors doing a pretty well written scene and it has a couple standout things like that when it tries to do action it it can't really pull it off and the end is really jumbled I I couldn't even make sense of what's going
0: on yeah and it's very slow in like the first half when like clearly there's something about like you know the brigadier had been asleep for like a week or something right and, and he's just kind of waking up and be you know kind of realizing you know like the clocks are all weird like I couldn't have slept all day you know and, and I think that goes on for way too long. <laughs> yes.
2: No, it doesn't have great pacing. No. No.
0: You know, they, they were trying. They were, they were trying to keep Doctor Who going somehow. Well, here's a, here's a question. Would you yeah. like
3: it better if you, for example, read the uh, Virgin novelization of it? Because there is one.
0: It's written, I by, might, Mark, I, written by Mark Platt. I, might, I bet I'd enjoy the novel more than, than the actual video. Well, the video had so many restrictions on it. Apparently, they could not reference the Doctor even indirectly.
2: Oh, but they indirectly reference him throughout the entire thing.
0: Well, like the the only moment that really Mm -hmm. jumped out at me was like right at the end, where it's like, "I guess he just blah 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 went and vanished." It's like, "Oh yeah, well, it's not like we don't have experience with that before, you know." I I I mean, that's pretty indirect. Yeah, I I, I
3: love how the brigadier mistakes the random homeless guy for the doctor. Jeffrey Beavers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Jeffrey Beavers who played the master in *Deadly Assassin* or. Keeper of Jochen. Keeper of Excuse me. Oh, almost. <laughs> <laughs> I embarrassed myself there. Uh, but, yeah, it is wonderful. It's just mistakes like, oh, well, here's this strange person I've never seen before. is acting very eccentrically and seems to know things. So because you have clearly the, the doctor.
2: doctor. <laughs> yeah, there's some nice moments. And they cut back to the Brigadier and Sarah at the very end mid-conversation where mm-hmm. Sarah is quoting herself from Pyramids of Mars. Yeah. Talking about Victoria's dress. Victoria's as dress. As long as Albert didn't wear it. Right.
3: There's a a, in that conversation with the unit guy too, the brigadier, like they cut into a conversation midway through where the brigadier is saying, "Eh, well, we blew up the church and unit took the blame. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, There's bits of that stuff scattered throughout. But this is the death zone, you guys. Uh. So we also are going to talk about the two-part Sarah Jane adventure Enemy of the Bane, which is the last televised appearance of Nicholas Courtney as the brigadier. And I think the last time he acted it unless it was in Masters of War which we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah,
2: I don't know which came first, it was the same year, but yeah. this is definitely his last television appearance. Yeah, yeah, it's from the second season of the Sarah Jane
3: Adventures. Uh, he was also supposed to appear in season three's The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith, but he
0: was too ill at that time for that to happen. And uh, also uh, he wasn't actually supposed to be an Enemy of the main. No? It was It was originally supposed to be Martha Jones.
2: And, I guess that makes sense, because she and, ends up working with the unit. Yeah, yeah,
0: she works with the unit. And um, probably a, a figure, the young, definitely younger audience that would be watching the Sir Jane Adventures would would know who Martha Jones is. Mm-hmm. May not necessarily know who the Brigadier is, but um, oh, I always make her name. Freema Agamon? Freema Agamon, yeah. Egg, Freema Agamon just wasn't available for some reason, uh, so they rewrote they it for the
2: Brigadier. Wow, it's modern undead. Yeah, (laughs) you know, part two.
0: That's kind of a a frustrating thing with these later brigadier appearances is that they weren't really meant for the brigadier. Yeah, a lot of
3: them. It works pretty well. I think regardless, but I think better than modern
0: undead uh, in terms of brigadier. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a unit elements.
2: And he's he's getting so elderly by this time. He's a little limited in what he can do.
0: There's an awful lot of shots of him. From the shoulders up.
2: But it's clearly yeah. just physical. I mean, from yeah. a mental point of view of like how, how sharp he is with his lines, he's really good, and he really feels oh, yeah, like the yeah. character. It doesn't feel like a sad thing, like they wheeled this guy out, Not and like he William wasn't Hartnell capable of... Yeah, hunters. no, it has oh, wow. none of that yeah. to it. It's a purely a physical impediment he has that they work around. Which yeah. My favorite moment is when they incorporate the cane gun. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then I'm like, yes! That's what the old brigadier would have.
3: He mentions Doris, mm-hmm. so he's still married at this point. They got... they. Got over whatever their problem was in, in Downtime. <laughs> he's back. Uh, he's Sir Alistair. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. He got his knighthood at some point there.
0: Yeah, okay, this is only like the second Sarah Jane adventure story I think I've seen. Mm-hmm. It took It takes some adjustment for me because it's really geared at a much younger audience. Yeah. I mean, we always say Doctor Who is like a kid's sto- show at heart or something. But, but this is really a kid's yeah, show. I mean, it there, there's a lot of points in it where it felt like something I would, I'd be watching on Nickelodeon. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Like it some, definitely has that quality. And yeah. um, some of the better Sarah Jane episodes are on par with uh, New Who, I cool. think. Yeah. In, All right. uh, but when they're not, they're, this is a pretty run of the mill mm-hmm. episode. Mm-hmm. And you, there are pretty much no twists or surprises. I would say when the Santarin shows up, that's a nice little yeah. tweak and surprise. Yeah. Uh, yeah, glad to see this on time. And that, yeah, and
3: that's a continuity thing from a story earlier in that season. Mm-hmm. Of course, just like, this is a direct sequel to the very first Sarah Jane adventure, Invasion of the Bane, yeah. where Mrs. Wormwood shows up. I agree with Josh. Uh, I've seen all of the Sarah Jane adventures now, and the, the first season in particular is quite rough. Mm-hmm. But
1: th-
3: e- as silly and childish as they can get, mm-hmm. they're not really that much more so than a lot of the RTD Doctor Who that's happening at that point. Yeah, and, and some of the better ones are actually. Pretty good, and mm-hmm. the wedding Tenet, of Sarah
2: Jane one yeah. is really good. David, David Tennant
3: shows Tenet. up, Joe Grant shows up, mm-hmm. the Brigadier. So yeah, it's it's worth watching at least some of it. And yeah. I think the kid actors are generally very mm-hmm. good. Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Uh, and, I don't if, be and they got the they got the most important part right in this, and that is the character the Brigadier. Yeah, I felt like he was mm-hmm. spot on. I mean, I always have my problem because I feel like uh, Sarah Jane. They, they lost her sense of humor from the original series yes. and that's one thing that throughout this spin-off they have a hard yeah. time recapturing and so sometimes it's great to see Elizabeth Sladen, but I sometimes really have a hard time watching it and going that's the same Sarah Jane who traveled with the Doctor right
0: uh, and, and there's kind of I, I guess this is a budgetary thing but like the whole thing is like they have to try and break into the Black Archive which is like Units super top secret collection of alien stuff and, and in the show it just seems like this warehouse with like a guy. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like there's not a lot of security here. No.
3: The all of the Sarah Jane stuff kind of ties into concerns that children or young adults will have too. And mm-hmm. so this this has a uh... A focus on parenthood, uh, a fairly common thing with the Sarah Jane adventures, yep. but Mrs. Wormwood tries to pull the I'm actually your mother mm-hmm. uh, card on Luke, which I never quite understood. It's like the doctor's daughter, right? It's like, what, the accident of you being cloned at the hands of this person? What, like yeah. That doesn't give you some sort of biological imperative. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't think, and of course, Luke, to his credit, is like, that, uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, but it's taken seriously in a way that I think is probably kind of, kind of silly. Yeah. I do find the long fanfare Mr. Smith music hilarious every time (laughs) they do it. Every time. It just takes forever. And they did it twice in this episode yep. too. So it was like, okay, right, Mr. Smith is opening up, and it's going to take forever again.
2: If if you really had to get that kind of fanfare, like every time you open your laptop. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's Windows 11. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. All
2: right. So this is kind of a weird death zone. This is this is very much um, extracurricular doctoral yeah, activity. Yeah. Really <laughs> uh,
0: but I do I do prefer uh, any enemy of the bane to downtime. Uh, Downtime I think is ultimately just plain dull.
3: See I'm gonna I'm gonna be on the other side of it there. I okay. I, I agree that downtime is way zero budget and not particularly well directed but I think Martin mm-hmm. Platts a better writer mm-hmm. than Phil Ford and I think the character of the Brigadier has a lot more going on in downtime. So I guess okay. looking at purely from a story point of view, and what I'm looking for is, like, good quality Brig time, mm-hmm. then I'm going to go with downtime. As perverse as that seems. And I understand that this is, like, way, way low-budget fan fiction
0: it, stuff. It's, I would say it definitely has more resonance to, to fans of a certain era. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, it is a tough call, I agree. But I think I am going to side with Pat on this one. Downtime <clears throat> Downtime is just a little more entertaining to watch. Like I said, there are a couple surprises in the ideas. The Sarah Jane one is Sarah Jane by the numbers. Downtime has some truly atrocious moments and some mm-hmm. actors who should never stand in front of a video camera no. ever again. Wow. And so, I mean, to me, that's part of the reason I'm voting for Downtime in that, like, considering some of the atrocious things in mm-hmm. Downtime, the fact that the Brigadier story in the hands of Mark Platt can elevate it. It mm. also juggles a lot of characters fairly well. We've got v- Victoria and Sarah Jane, um, the and, Professor. Yeah, a lot of continuity. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, I think it would appeal to people who are like, way, way, way into the web of fear and the abominable snowman. Like us. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I was never as, as taken with the whole Yeti, great intelligence thing as is the main, the majority of Doctor Who fandom, and I have a hard time explaining. It's just the, would, the good intelligence. The okay intelligence. The, the pretty good intelligence.
2: Yeah. <laughs> good enough in a pinch intelligence. <laughs>
0: the better than nothing intelligence. <laughs> Let's keep going. <laughs> the beats are poke in the eye with a sharp stick intelligence. The sort of, yeah, I guess if you have to, intelligence. <laughs>
2: Well, that's our podcast, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Next time, we will have local band The Team on. That is Christian Erickson and Janie Winterbauer. And we will be discussing the Caves of Andrazani. Uh, So please join us for that. Until next time, I'm Joshua. I'm Pat. And I'm Calvin. And I'm saying... Get off my
1: world!
0: You don't think minuet in hell. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, if I had the
0: discs of minuet in hell, I would I would probably frisbee. I'm cutting before I even said minuet. In hell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good call.